Good evening. Thank you very much for coming. We'll continue to read from Srila Jiva Goswami's Krishna Sandarbha. Beginning tonight with Anucheta 58. Krishna is the sole aim of Narada. So we're still in that section of the <coughs> Krishna Sandarbha wherein Jiva Goswami is fortifying the Parivas Sutra and its significance in relationship to the whole presentation of the uh, Bhagavat Purana, Srimad Bhagavatam, um, fortifying it in such a way that although it's only this nomenclature Krishna Stu Bhagavan Swayam is only mentioned once in the whole Bhagavat Purana still there's no question that Krishna is the is not only the source of all the avatar other avataric descents and Swayam Bhagavan but Krishna is uh, the main focus of all the speakers and all the listeners uh, of the Bhagavat Purana, thus uh, signifying again this, the uh, the position of Krishna as uh, the original source of all other manifestations of the Supreme Lord, the topmost manifestation. So Krishna is the sole aim of Narada. Jiva Goswami writes here. Next, it is shown that Sri Krishna is the sole aim of Sri Narada, who informed Sri Vyasadeva. Then he quotes a verse from the first canto, fifth chapter. My dear Vyas, in that place I listened each day to the enchanting stories of Krishna, mercifully sung by those sages. With each moment that I heard these narrations with faith, love was awoken in me for Bhagavan, whose glories, whose glory is most endearing. Jiva explains this verse as follows. The two verses spoken by King Parikshit, beginning with 10.7.1 in Anucheta 51, are also relevant in establishing that the word Krishna here refers to the son of Sri Yasoda by the principle of Shruti Samanya, which holds that a word or statement is understood by from its general meaning, i.e. that meaning which automatically springs to mind on first hearing the word. What's, what's, what's interesting about this particular verse is the Nard is explaining how his how his devotion to Krishna arose, you know, first uh, was aroused. It was, it was, stim it was planted. Uh, this desire to hear about Krishna by the association of the sages. The sages were talking about Krishna, and he listened, and therefore he developed a, an attachment to Krishna. If they would have been talking about Rama, he could have developed an attachment for Ram. That's the nature of the planting of the seed of uh, devotion. I was just reading a very interesting uh, dialogue that uh, Swami Tripurari had in that regard. We'll 
one could question question what under what circumstance does that come about that one would hear from one sadhu about one manifestation of the Lord and another would hear from a different sadhu about a different manifestation of the Lord and their attraction to that particular manifestation would grow the seed of bhakti to that particular manifestation of the Lord would grow in their heart from that association. So how exactly do we take Krishna out of that equation as being the being omnipotent, omnipresent and and he knows everything, he knows past, present and future, then one could question, well, since he knows that, then isn't he really the one making the arrangements for you to hear from a specific sadhu? But he mentioned in this, I don't know, I think it was a, an email or some other exchange, he mentioned that Krishna is really divorced from the process. That the seed of bhakti is planted by bhakti. That bhakti comes from bhakti. Bhakti is causeless. Krishna is, Krishna of course becomes subservient to bhakti because bhakti actually is the only thing that can control the Lord. So it's, it's, it's not, it's not a predetermined arrangement. It's, well, yadrichaya, as Srila Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur explains in his Madhurya Kadambani. It's causeless mercy. It's causeless. We can't, you cannot put a cause on it. It's not a cause over and above your good fortune to come in contact with the sadhu. So I was thinking about this further. Well, why the, why with this sadhu for us and that sadhu for another? I mean, and of course, we're confronted with, from our viewpoint, from our vantage point, from everything that we're being blessed with as far as knowledge coming in our parampara through our sadhus, our disciplic succession, we're seeing that, well, there's nothing better than Krishna. There's, what, what's the question? Krishna's too Bhagavan Swayam. He's the source of all the others. I mean, he has to be, he is the best. But devotion is such, love is such, that when you're, when you're overtaken with a loving relationship with someone, that reigns supreme for you. So you're completely, you're completely fulfilled in that relationship. And if someone's attracted to, to Lakshmi Narayan and Vaikuntha, it's not that they're not completely and fully fulfilled in that loving worship of even that the Ashwarya that we'd say, oh, we don't want Ashwarya. Well, that's, we don't want it because 
Uh, that's the way we've been mentored by our sadhus. For them, how can you see Krishna without Aswarya? And then you have somebody like Lakshmi who hears, well, uh, they say that these gopis have the best relationship with Krishna. And, and she said, well, I want, I want to at least know what that's like. Let me perform some, some, some austerities. And, you know, maybe I can enter into that. She can't enter into that because it's not part of the nature of her love. Her love is a love that she can't give up this, this service, her position of service as Lakshmi to Narayan. She can't, she can't, she'd have to give up her relationship with Narayan to fall in love with Krishna, who's Narayan, but it's not the same Narayan. So, so such is the nature of, of, of unalloyed devotion that it, it, we can logically enter into these you know, the mind can take us in all these different direct, well, what about this and what about that? Well, you know, we're we're being schooled and you're saying, you know, the, we're here, we're reading Jiva Goswami, Sanatana Goswami, all taking instruction from Sri Chaitanya, who's a manifestation of the Lord showing the ideal exemplar of a devotee and he's in love and trying to taste the love of of Radha for himself, and so what could be better than that? But those kind of distinctions are material distinctions. It's a, it's a, it, although there is gradation, and we're willing to accept gradation, and we're, we're willing to learn of gradation and devotional uh, rapture, because everybody's, they're in rapture of their, the object of their love, we can hear of these different gradations. The distinctions are there. <coughs> and it's part of some Mandagyan. But we, we have to be careful that we don't become overly logical in our approach. Otherwise, where's the, where's the question of humble appreciation for the Lord in all of his relationships. All of a sudden we're thinking, well, I have the best relationship. Well, I'm in the best sampradaya. My guru's the best. Yeah, for us, it's the best. And there's no question and we're not going anywhere else. And we're not going to accept any other Dave. That doesn't diminish those that worship Sita Ram, those that worship Lakshmi Narayan, those that worship any other manifestation of the Lord. They're also Krishna's devotees. And compared to me, they have more devotion than I'll ever have because that's the attitude of every devotee. He doesn't see. That's the whole beginning of, of Brihat Bhagavatam Rita. That distinction of between my love is better than your love does not exist. There are some things of bhava there that come into play, but those are those are secondary to the overriding point of of theology that we're discussing right now. That it's causeless, and Narda's giving through his own example here. This is how bhakti came to me. I had no bhakti. 
I was the son of a maidservant. Who knows what I did in my past lives? I can't even imagine to have to be dis, to be born basically no family, the son of a maidservant, kind of like you know your your past is questionable, your lineage is questionable. Who's your who's your father? Where's he in all this? A very questionable birth, you could say, resulting from some questionable activities of karma, some impressions that brought him to that position. But here he's talking about, the, here, I, here I am, and by some good fortune, I heard about Krishna. I heard in this assembly about Krishna, and immediately some attraction came to me. Because I heard with faith and love and this, this seed of bhakti for Bhagavan was planted by that association. A little here in the commentary which we've all know about uh, Nardamuni's the circumstance of the those sages coming during Chaturmasya and him uh, being able to serve them uh, with his mother and then circumstances right after soon after that Krishna arranged his mother died kind of pushed him out he had this seed of bhakti and then it was like you know his mother was bit by a serpent I think is the narrative and then he was, he's on his own yes is there a simple answer to the question? If it all is just from, it's just random luck. Causeless. Causeless. Why doesn't Bhakti just plant the seed in everyone's heart? She's sure trying. Krishna's sure trying to help help her. But she's trying. It's not. It's not for. It's not for a lack of effort on her part. That's for sure. But she's superior to material energy. She's superior, but she's not superior in that she 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 force. can force free will. She can present herself in human society through the sadhus, through her de, through devotees who have her in in their hearts. So she's presenting herself in human society, but it's not a matter of, it's no, there's no force involved. There's, there's always that free will of the jiva. That's one of the intrinsic characteristics of the jiva, that we, we have independence in that regard. And it's certainly not from a lack of effort on the part of the Supreme Lord. Yada yadahi dharmasya, again and again I appear in so many manifestations coming into the material world and manifesting himself and displaying his leelas in so many different forms. Now for us, we're saying, well, wow, we got the Krishna form. That's what we're, we're trying to fix ourselves on based on the sampradaya that we've heard from that our sadhus have, have descended through this sampradaya. But uh, yeah, I don't think we can say that it's it's not for a lack of effort. It's not that there's no you know it's not that you can be forced to accept you know the right that you know 
the the uh, the merciful dispensation that bhakti offers you. She comes there. Some some people walk on the same side of the street as the Sagratog party, and some people cross the road to the other side. You can't, you know, they're making that choice. What is that sound? Some are going, I don't want to hear this sound. This is somewhere I don't want to know. What are these, what is this level of, look at these people, the level of renunciation. They've given up everything. They're, they're just walking the streets and sheets, you know, I don't want that in my life. Isn't that just to preach you that when we feel favorable and when we feel not favorable? Yes, that is Sukriti. So, but you don't, you're not always in the same position. You're always going up and down. Material nature is always influencing you. Sometimes the mode of ignorance is predominant. Sometimes the mode of passion. Sometimes the mode of goodness. So, at a certain level, by good circumstance, there could be a, a, a conjunction between your your uh, sattvic inclination and the the merciful dispensation of bhakti, and those two can create a favorable atmosphere for you to at least hear. But it's there's never it's never a forced situation. Certainly, if you're in the mode of ignorance and passion, well, we can't even say that because sometimes the people in the mode of ignorance and passion are are greatly influenced by bhakti. So it has nothing to do with the modes of material nature, although there certainly seems to be some indication that the mode of goodness help is, is, is certainly beneficial. But it's not necessary that one be in the mode of goodness to... to to be receptive to the to the dispensation of bhakti through the sadhus. I mean, here you have Narada, just a simple a simple maidservant's son. But he was listened to hear. He was willing to listen. He was in a circumstance where where everything came together for him, and he took advantage. He didn't need to. Didn't have to. No one forced him to. He himself wanted to hear. I, I this sounds interesting to me. Let me listen. All right. So, 59th Anucheda. Moving along. Narada repeats the word Krishna throughout the Bhagavat. Jiva Goswami writes, the 59th Anucheda. In the statements of Narada in the Bhagavat, repetition of the word Krishna is also seen in verses such as the following. And then Jiva quotes from the first canto, O Brahmana, Vyasudeva, in due course of time, the appointed moment of death appeared like a flash of lightning to me whose mind was thus fixed on Krishna, who was devoid of attachment and whose heart was free of all taint. Elsewhere also, Narada makes explicit contextual reference to Krishna. And then he quotes from the seventh uh, canto, three verses, which read as follows. Now, the seventh canto, of course, is about Prahlad Maharaj. So the context of the presentation of these verses is Yudhisthira is fearing, 
feeling despondent for some reason, out of humility. So he's feeling despondent. Wow, Prahlad got to see Krishna. He came to his rescue. So his humility overrides his his short-term memory <laughs> of, of Krishna and the relationship his family had with Krishna. So Narada has to bring him back to to appreciation because he becomes so immersed in the Leela narrative of the of the good fortune of Prahlad Maharaj uh, in hearing about Prahlad being saved by Lord Nishringadev that he was overwhelmed by that and feeling, oh, I can never get it. I can never be a devotee like Prahlad. So Nard is like, okay, we'll just just so he he's, he speaks these verses to, to Maharaj Yudhisthira. Um, Indeed, you, Pandavas, are exceedingly fortunate in this world of human beings because the sages who purify the entire world visit your home where the Supreme Brahman himself, Sri Krishna, resides disguised in human form. This very Brahman, who is the embodiment of the experience of the unadulterated bliss of liberation sought after by highly evolved beings, is verily your beloved friend, cousin, intrinsic self, worshipable entity, obedient follower, and preceptor. May he, the master of the sattvatas, whose essential form has not been directly described in truth, even by the likes of Shiva and Brahma, not even through the analytical power of their intellects, and who is worshipped by us through silence, devotion, and sense control, be gracious upon us. He's trying to just tell you to steer. You're, you're, you're pretty fortunate too. Just don't overlook that. And also, he's, it's like he's giving him a little bit of a, it's okay for you to become overwhelmed by, the, by this narration. I understand. Because even Brahma and Shiva, they can't, they can't really break through the mysteries of this human-like form of the Supreme Lord, the Supreme Brahman. They, they, even they can't wrap their minds around it. Even Brahma and Shiva, I mean, how the intellectual, intellectual capacity of those two guna avatars is pretty immense. I mean, Brahma, four heads, so a, a lot of a lot of intellect there, enough intellect to manifest the material creation, Shiva enough intellectual capacity to be able to destroy all the three worlds. I mean, so, so that even they can't comprehend this form, so much so that Shiva loses all composure when. Krishna displays himself in a female form. Shiva completely loses it. I mean, Shiva, the most self-controlled when it comes to being, you know, the epitome of, of austerity and sense control, he loses all sense control in seeing a form of the Lord. 
And Brahma, Brahma, he sees a form of the Lord that's in multiple forms in the Brahma Vamohan Leela, and he he's dumbstruck. He he's just that's he just his mind ceases to function is basically the way it's described. His mind just freezes up. Wait, what? I uh, uh, which where where where's the voice? Where's you know? <laughs> Krishna has to. Krishna realizes there's actually one 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 uh, part of that discussion. I mean, it might be Vishwanath that brings it out in his commentary. That's the one I'm reading it presently, and it was something like Krishna realized that he'd shown Brahma more than he could handle. <laughs> and he had to, he had to withdraw his his opulent display. So he, otherwise he was it's like he was gonna break from like, guy would break down and he wouldn't be able to function anymore. So you can imagine they have to have put him in a white room. <laughs> beyond his capacity, beyond his, his ability to uh, comprehend such things. Uh, Jiva continues here. Swami also comments in this regard. So in regards to these three verses. Sri Narda spoke these three verses to King Yudhisthira while lamenting, alas, how great is the fortune of Prahlad by whom the Lord was seen. We, on the other hand, have not been so fortunate. Just, again, just overwhelmed by Krishna's devotees. You know, you hear, you hear a narration, you just become overwhelmed by that. So much so that you forgot, oh, Krishna, I sent him off to negotiate on my behalf. I mean, it, that wasn't it foremost in Yudhisthira's mind. Out of his great humility, it says, how humble he was that he didn't see his interaction with Krishna as an intimate in so many ways, as Narada has pointed out here. All he saw was, wow, Krishna saved Prahlad. Look at Prahlad's good fortune. So it's just, it's, it's overwhelming, emotional outpouring of appreciation, an amount of humility that's, as we mentioned in the last time, it could be, a, it's just perhaps beyond our comprehension that the mind would be so immersed in the good fortune of Prahlad that you would forget any good fortune that you yourself may have had, that level of, of a humility in appreciation. I don't know if this continuation here is of Sridhar Swami's comment or something else, but the Anucheta continues. Jiva writes, the phrase Manushalingam Gudam, disguised in human form, indicates that his bodily composition includes all the characteristics, linga, such as hands and feet, that are particular to human beings as seen in the world. This is the form, rupa, being specified, by which is meant his Sri Vigraha, or divine spiritual body. This form 
not being I'm sorry, this form has not been described in truth, Vastu Taya, meaning that because his form is itself the Supreme Brahman, it is impossible to determine what exactly this abiding substance, Vastu, is. What is, I mean, this is Brahman, but then Brahman in a, in a form, in a, like our form. It's incomprehensible, is really what what's being said here. Uh, as is it, as it is said in the Vishnu Sahasra Nama Stotra, his body is ineffable, anir desya vapu. Ineffable. I looked it up so we'd have the proper definition. <laughs> Too great or extreme to be expressed or described in words. We. You can't put it in words. It's, mm. it's beyond the capacity of, of language. Ineffable? Ineffable. I-N-E-F-F-A-B-L-E. Because these verses confer supreme joy, they are repeated again by Narada, these three verses, at the end of the seventh canto. So here we, we find them uh, in the tenth chapter, and then they're also re- the same verses are repeated again by Narda in the fifteenth chapter. So both in the tenth and the fifteenth chapter of the seventh canto, these three verses are repeated, expressing the good fortune. So I mean, uh, I'd have to read. I did not read the context of the uh, the fifteenth chapter to see. Maybe Yudhisthira still not hasn't got out of his sense of appreciation, but uh, you can look into that if it's of interest. A little bit from the commentary here, which is good. There are six criteria. This will come up again and again, so we might as well absorb it. Sad, sadlinga, by which an author's Intention or the essential message of a book can be assessed. One of them is known as abhasya. Abhasa, I'm sorry. Abhasa. The repetition of the principal subject throughout the text. In this Anuchana, Sri Jiva Goswami demonstrated that Narada repeatedly refers only to the name Krishna in his instructions to Vyas and King Yudhisthira. Uh, also, he brings out here this, this use of the term Sattvatam Pati. So Sattvata means Krishna, who's the master of the Sattvatas, who is a, the clan, a clan of the, the Yadu dynasty. He puts that in the context of also the compound Andaka, Vrishni, Sattvatam. So Andakas, the Vrishnis, as well, are well-known races of the Yadavas. So this term will come up again, just like we, it's another, it's another, another term presented in various verses that points specifically to Swayam Bhagavan, Sri Krishna. Because he is the master of the of the of the Yadus, 
So this is another nomenclature, just like Krishna, the son of Nanda and Yasoda, which we'll find, which will be, there's no question as to what Krishna they're speaking about and the relationship of Krishna with his devotees. And as, as uh, pointed out in the commentary here, the fortune of Yudhisthira far exceeded the good fortune of Prahlad Maharaj. But again, that fortune is seen through a comparative analysis. Experientially, and again, that's kind of what I was leading into this discussion this evening with, they're both feeling their love for the Lord and the Lord's love for them as the best. That's their sub subjective sense of it. Except when humility overrides and they feel, I have no love for Krishna. And because I have no love for him, how could he love me? Again, this separation in the separation and also in the meeting, you know, these emotions are the, we're now entering into an understanding of the land of, of spiritual emotion. It's, 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 things become very, very uh, sweet in the relationships between Krishna and his devotees and the experience of those relationships as nourished by those loving exchanges and mentalities that, you know, the bhavas, their primary bhava, and then these sanchari bhavas, which come in and, and stir up their emotions even more, either in, in separation or in meeting and in, in feelings of, of humility or feelings of, of pride. Ah, Krishna is my friend. Ah, Krishna doesn't, I don't even love, you know. So these emotions come and they play off each other, off the, the primary relationship that one has with Krishna in a very extraordinary way. And all these are, are detailed. I mean, imagine, imagine what Srila Rupa Goswami has really given us in the Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu. If we enter into the study of these emotions as detailed in the in the latter parts of the Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, this one's felt like this and this one's, and especially as a devotee himself begins to enter into having those kind of feelings and then seeing, here's, here's Rupa, he's detailed it all. Oh, well, this mixes with that, the devotee feels that, and you can see that kind of an emotion as expressed in the Leela narrative where this particular gopi or this particular gopa or this particular parental figure was in this kind of a situation where this kind of emotion sprung up. This is the way that these emotions play on each other and nourish each other and em embellish the loving sentiment between Krishna and his devotees and the loving feelings that the devotee feels in relationship to the Lord. So what a, what a contribution to, 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 you know, to the Sampradaya that Rupa Goswami has, has given us in the Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, especially for those devotees who are, 
are gradually coming into a sakti and, and coming in, just leaving sadhana and entering into bhava. They're given they're given this this doorway here, here now go explore explore all these emotions through the narrative of this book, which is simply extrapolated all the details from the Bhagavat Purana. All these leelas, all these relationships are there. And now you can you can begin to see how this is going to play out as you yourself develop a deeper and deeper love for Krishna. So it's uh, what can you say? It's it's very magical. It's very mystical. It's very it's very enticing for us to say, let's get through this these basics of, of having some anarthas and some some hang-ups for anything material this look at what what awaits if you can you know truly enter into these uh, into bhava bhakti move forward here what are you holding on to whatever you're holding on to is nothing compared with what you can have so give it up can I ask Mentioning for a lot of my life, so I was just thinking about all the different times that Krishna saved him when his father was trying to kill him. Was he conscious at, at those times that it was Krishna that was saving him? Absolutely. Like, said so that Krishna caught him at the bottom of the cliff. I mean, he must have been a total... He was a total devotee, an alloyed devotee. Yeah. That's what the whole Leela is about. So much so that you know, he finally's confronted. The end is the end is there. Okay. Karanyakasipu is at his wit's end. He's tried everything. Didn't really want to deal with it himself. That's a king. Why, why do why do for yourself when you can have a, have others do for you? So he already he sent Prahlad to all these put Prahlad in all these situations at the hand of his servants. Okay, I'm done with it. You can't teach him, destroy him. So they tried everything. They tried everything, one after another. And they're finally, they're all unsuccessful because Krishna protected him in all circumstances. And of course he was aware of Krishna's protection because he didn't see anything but Krishna anywhere. What's evidence of his mentality? Because at the end, when finally, here he is. Okay, the servants couldn't pull it off. Well, whatever the servant can't do, I guarantee you the king can do. He has so much more power than any servant of his, right? That's what king means. So now you have, you know, Prahlad confronted with his his, his father, who's the king of the demons, and he's, he's, he's tried it all, and he tried to delegate it off to somebody else, now it's come to his door. He's going to have to do it himself in his palace from his throne. He's going to have to destroy the boy himself. And that's what he's confronted with. And what happens? First he says, where is your God now? Now you're up against me. Okay, whatever happened, whatever, however my servants failed in dispatching you, that's over. You have no hope now. 
you're you're with me and guess what game up i'm going to i'm going to i'm going to destroy you so where's your god now where isn't he <laughs> was he here is he there yeah he's there is he there is he there in this pillar here i'll show you i'll slice the pillar i'm that strong i can tear down a pillar is he there yeah he's there so that's the evidence that Krishna, yeah, I mean that Prahlad, yes, knew entirely that, that Krishna was everywhere and he saw Krishna everywhere. There's nowhere that he's not. He's definitely there. Did that happen, the whole passing happened after Krishna had come and had his pastimes or was it before Krishna came in terms of the time period? It would be before. It was before Krishna came? Yes. So... Even though Krishna hasn't even come yet, he still sees Krishna in, every, in his original form and everything. Yes, because Krishna is his sister Krishna is his worshipful object. Forever. So the conception he has of Krishna is not truly explored in the Leela of the Bhagavat, but you know that he was a devotee of Krishna. How that played out and, and how that developed. I think there's some indications of that in some other Puranas, but not in the Bhagavat Purana. All right, so we'll continue in our next discussion with Anucheta 60. Narda sings the Leela of Krishna. Any questions? I, I don't know where I heard the, that Krishna, that Narda was the incarnation of Krishna. But is that not the case then if Narda had his... Well, you you heard about Narda because he's at the very beginning of the second chapter, third chapter of the first canto of the Bhagavatam. He's listed as one of the avatars of Krishna. So but what kind of avatar is he? He's a Saktavish avatar. So he has the the Shakti. He has a particular Shakti, and the Shakti of Krishna that he has is Bhakti Shakti. Uh, so he's a Jiva with Bhakti Shakti. Yes, okay. yes. Okay. So yes, he's he's a Saktavish avatar, and in that listing of avatars, all the different divisions of avatars are listed: Purusha avatars, Leela avatars. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much for your association. Thank you.